The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Vern Harnish. He is the founder of the Global Entrepreneurs Organization. You may also know it as EO. He spent 15 years as the chair for EO's premier CEO program called The Birthing of Giants and WEO's Advanced Business Executive Program, which is held at MIT. He's the author of a book called Scaling Up and Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. You may also know him as The Growth Guy. He's a syndicated columnist known as The Growth Guy and the founder and CEO of Gazelles, which is a global executive education and coaching company with more than 150 coaching partners on six continents. He's a venture columnist for Fortune Magazine, and he's co-authored The Greatest Business Decisions of All Times and Jim Collins happened to write the foreword for that. He's also the chair for Fortune Magazine's annual Leadership and Growth Summit. Welcome to the show today, Vern. Glad to be with you. We're happy to have you here. We're excited that you were available after your uh, talk here in Kansas City yesterday. What did you talk about? We talked about how you scale up a business. You know, the challenge is a lot of people start up companies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kansas City's got a great uh, support network for startups, but very few scale up. And it's the scale ups that really provide kind of the economic and innovation activity in a city. So it's like, how do you get above that million dollar hump that you've got to achieve in order to become a member of EO? And then how do you get to 10 million, 100 million, and, and beyond that? And, and it is different than if you're a startup. Absolutely. So if you had to define, I mean, you, you did define it to a certain extent just now, but if you had to give us a, let's say, textbook definition of the difference between a startup and a scale-up, what would that be? Well, there's actually a technical term. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's an economic term that they talk about at the G7 meetings. Uh, David Birch at MIT was the one who established the criteria, and it's you're growing at least 20% a year for four years in a row. Mm-hmm. Some countries will back it off to three years on some decent level of revenue. Some people set that at a half a million. Some people set that at a million. So it, it, you know, it's easy to grow at 20% a year if you're doing 10000 a year. It's different than if you're doing a million a year. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the rough criteria. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial background. You obviously started an organization that uh, works with entrepreneurs, and you are constantly in contact and advising and counseling entrepreneurs through your writing, through your coaching. Where did this come from? Were were you privy to an entrepreneurial background or, or childhood? How did that all materialize? You know, I was. Uh, both of my parents, uh, grandparents on my, on my dad's side, down in Kinsley, Kansas, uh, each had their own companies. Uh, my, my grandmother literally wore her fingertips to the bone uh, with her upholstery shop. And my grandfather early on got in the television business back when that thing first, when television launched. 
and he sold them, repaired them, then we branched into appliances. And then my dad was a rocket engineer uh, out in Martin Marietta in Littleton, Colorado, uh, involved in the space race. I, I saw one of the first uh, calculators when he brought it home in the early 60s. And he and a group of his uh, friends left and started a company called Higher Electronics that was a, a rocket ship and uh, ended up becoming big. We were wealthy, and then we lost it all in the 73 recession. Mm-hmm. And that's how we ended up back in, from Littleton, back in Kinsley, Kansas. But, no, I grew up around uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, so you've seen it all. You've seen the high times. You've seen the low times. And then you just, you're just you paying it forward with the EO organization. Uh, and there's chapters. Do you call them chapters all around the country? Yeah, or, we're, we're all, actually all around the world. We're almost 12,000 members. And I think 170 chapters in 40-some countries, and I've had a chance to visit many of them uh, okay. as we've traveled the world. One here right in Kansas City. It is, 29 members, and they'll have about 100 of the members, or we had 100 of the members and their teams uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, so it was fun. Yeah, it sounds like it was a good time. At least that's what I've heard. And uh, from anybody who's read any of your articles or read your book, uh, you just have such a great message for entrepreneurs. And let's get back to the scaling up. If I'm an entrepreneur and I've started a business, first of all, you know, I wanted to plain out ask you, are all businesses scalable? Should every entrepreneur, when they open their doors, be thinking about scalability? No, I, I think there are uh, plenty of companies that are lifestyle, you know, where people mm-hmm. want to keep it small, and that fits what it is that they want to accomplish. So we're we're really addressing the four percent of companies, and that's about the number that are actually able to get the business to scale up. So it's really if if you want to do it, there are some things that we've learned. Uh, one of those, by the way, is interesting. You know, with startups. You need to say yes to everybody. You know, you remember the the early days where somebody says, "Hey, can you do this?" And Absolutely. You just lie. <laughs> right. Know, fake it, it till you make it. Yeah, fake it. You got it. But when you begin to scale up, uh, that's the one big thing that has to change. You need to now start t- saying no a lot more than yes. No to clients that want your attention because it's really easy for you to get distracted and start crushing your gross margins. You need to say no to new opportunities, product lines, locations. It really is a job as you scale up of saying no probably 20 times more than you say yes. And when you fail to do that, that's when the business gets in trouble. Mm-hmm. So when you start thinking about scaling up, you have to get very focused. You have to say no to the distractions and, and to the demands on your time and so forth. But what are some of the other things that you need to be thinking about in terms of your people, in terms of cash, in terms of strategy and process? I know there's a lot of questions there, but I mean, those are all important things. How do you even begin to start filtering through those? Well, uh, you nailed it. We in the book Scaling Up, we we address four very specific decision areas: people, strategy, execution, and cash. And I thought maybe with the short time we have, we could share some really practical yes. ideas that they could think through in each one of those areas. Please. Um, so you know, let's start with people. Mm-hmm. And to me, the the most important idea I got. In fact, Bill Gates called it the single best question he'd ever been asked was by Regis McKenna. Regis was the uh, marketing advisor to Steve Jobs, to Intel, to Genentech, and to this young student at Wichita State University, me, Vern Harnick. <laughs> back in 1983, I, I cold-called Regis and said, hey, you know, it's good enough for Steve Jobs, it's good enough for me, would you help 
me drive the marketing to scale up the student organization around the world. And crazily enough, he said, yes, I was his only free client. He still kids me today <laughs> over all these years. And the first thing he had us do was take out a piece of paper and said, what are the top 25 influencers, relationships, people that you need to get behind this venture so that you can scale it up? And I thought that was a fascinating question. And with all the companies we work with, the first thing we do, I just had a company that's jumping into the carbon credit space. And the first thing we did is take a piece of paper and said, all right, who are the top 25 people you need to get behind this? And clearly, you know, you want to think big, they wrote down Al Gore. I mean, if, hmm. if Al got behind this, that's the right guy. Sure. So I took a piece of paper out and I said, look, you know, this is when it's good to be young and dumb, which I think some <laughs> of us lose too soon as we get old. I agree. I wrote down President Ronald Reagan. I said, look, I need the President of the United States to stand up and get on his bully pulpit. I wrote down Steve Jobs, Michael Dell. Um, I didn't even know who owned Venture Magazine or Inc. Mm-hmm. Magazine, but I wrote him down. And, right. And then he said the most important thing to do next, and this is what they did with me, is you've got to set aside an hour every week. I, we talk about how the function that gets in the way of scaling up is marketing. It's not well developed in a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. And marketing comes down to taking an hour every week and working your list. And let me make a long story short. In 36 months, we were global. We had President Ronald Reagan talking about our movement. I was interviewed in Wall Street Journal. Wow. For, Venture Magazine was giving us full-page ads. Inc. Magazine did a big six-page spread on our very first event at MIT. We had opened up the Chinese Young Entrepreneurs Association in 86. And that same year, I hosted the event in LA for Steve Jobs, his first public speech after being fired from Apple. That happened in 36 months by making the list and working it. So that's the most practical idea I can share on the people side. So being very, very deliberate and focused allowed you to be global in a short 36 months. That's phenomenal. You got it. Absolutely. Uh, and then that, that led to launching of EO, the entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. It was the young entrepreneurs back then. Right. We all got old. <laughs> you all got over 40, as I hear the story goes, and you had to drop the young. <laughs> we did. We did. <laughs> it's pretty funny. You know, before we go on to the next one, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tamika Bryant. And I'm Christy Porter. We're here to talk about real estate that matters. We're going to talk about everything real estate. Anything you want to know from buying a house to selling a house, from investing in real estate to flipping real estate. We invite you to listen every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. or on demand with our podcast. Right here on Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio at blogtalkradio.com. Just tune in at 9 o'clock Thursday. (laughs) Yeah, squirrel. (laughs) Can we just do that? Nine o'clock, don't touch it. Just sit by your radio and wait. We all want to run a smarter business, but how? The answer is ShopKeep, the iPad-based point-of-sale system that makes it easy to run a smarter business from accepting payments, tracking inventory, running marketing campaigns, and managing employees. ShopKeep does it all, taking the guesswork out of running your business. Right now, and for a limited time, ShopKeep is offering $500 in free hardware. You heard that right. That's $500 in free hardware from ShopKeep. To get the $500 in free hardware, visit shopkeep.com forward slash smart today. That's shopkeep.com forward slash smart. 
Interested in growing your business? Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level, whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature. Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check them out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing businesses. Visit them today at ithinkbigger.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Vern Harnish. He's the founder of the Global Entrepreneurs Organization, EO. We've been talking about scalability. Now, not every company is going to scale. There'll be a startup, but not necessarily a scale-up that makes it over that $1 million mark and more within uh, just a few years. But we're talking about four different things here. The people, and and then next we're going to talk about strategy. Can you talk to us about how strategy works in the scale-up? Yeah, you know, the most important thing, Kelly, is is not just focus, but hyper-focus. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think of a guy, Ali, that I read about. I, I travel a lot since I live in Barcelona throughout uh, the Middle East. And this is a, a guy who, you know, was following his passion like a lot of entrepreneurs do. He loved to carve wood. And he got a job, you know, carving wood for on dining room sets and living room sets for a furniture company. But then he began to focus. He began to specialize in just carving wooden doors, but not just any wooden doors, wooden doors for churches, but not any churches, specifically for Christian churches. He was from a southern province in Turkey where almost Christianity began. And today, he is the go-to guy on the planet that if you're a large Christian church and you want to carve wooden ornate door, uh, Ali's the guy you go to, and he has global brand. Mm -hmm. And so what we recommend in strategy, the first decision is what is the word or two you can own in the minds of the market? You know, when my wife and I had our first child 19 years ago, we wanted the safest car, and we got we got a Volvo. You know, Google owns the term search, uh, which, by the way, they stole from Yahoo. So one of the ways that you, you can actually impact your competition is take their word <laughs> away from them. And uh-huh. by the way, it also at some point becomes a limit. That's why Google changed their name mm-hmm. this summer because 98% of the revenue still comes from search. So go to the search engines. They're the ones that will tell you. Put in the word or two you think you should own in the minds of enough customers and see if you own it on Google or if your competitors you know, out grabbing you in terms of this mind share. So that's what strategy or brand is all about the word or two you can own. We have a client, Trench Safety. They do one thing, make sure a trench safe if you need to dig it if you're a construction company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's they, where they put all their resources, where they put all their branding, their marketing, everything is around that. Yeah. Okay. The next thing that we should talk about then, the next logical thing, would be the execution. Obviously, you've figured out your word. You know what you're going to focus on. How do you execute around that? Yeah, and you know, we knew we wanted to be the young entrepreneurs organization. We got our 25 key influencers behind us. Now we've got to execute. And and here I want to suggest what I think is the number one business book ever written. And it's not mine. It's not one of Jim Collins, but it was Eli Goldratt's book called The Goal. And I, I really think everyone listening to this, you need to read The Goal. It was a parable, and it really taught one thing: what's called the theory of constraints. 
What you've got to do is identify, and it's not about identifying problems, it's the constraint. What's in your way next of moving the business forward, that rock that's in the way? And by the way, if you can get control of it. So let me just tell a quick story from my second book, Greatest Business Decisions. So Robert Taylor puts, invents soft soap. Mm-hmm. In 1980, he spent $7 million in advertising, and he takes this product, Kelly, from zero to $39 million. Now, you probably have listeners too young to know that there wasn't this thing called soft soap at one <laughs> right. time, liquid soap. Um, and so now he's at $39 million. What's the biggest problem he's got to face year two? Well, it's not cash flow. It's not supply. Those are issues, problems. But his constraint was, how do I keep Colgate Palmolive from stealing the idea? So make a long story short, he realized that the real constraint was the spring pump. And there was only one company at the time in California that made these. So he visits them, says, how many of you guys, you know, what's the biggest order you've ever fulfilled? They said 5,000. How many, I mean, 5 million. How many do you make a year? He says 100 million. He goes sold, 12 cents a piece, and he locks up the entire global supply. So when Colgate Palmolive decides to compete, they have no spring pumps. Steve Jobs did the same thing when he launched the iPod. Mm-hmm. He locked up that Toshiba flash drive. John D. Rockefeller, the namesake of my first book, realized that oil gushing out of the ground wasn't a constraint. It was the storage. Right. So he bought up all the oak barrels that he could. Jim Cook, Boston Beer, Samuel Adams. Jim taught for me for years at our program at MIT. You know, He wanted the best-tasting beer, while the key constraint is the hops. And he owns the best hops coming from the best part of Bavaria in Europe, which allows him to maintain his league. So, you know, more down to earth, when I was scaling up gazelles, I realized first I was the constraint and moved actually to Barcelona and got out of the way of my team. Mm-hmm. I one, one year, it was our gross margin. We were at 42%. It was constraining our ability to, to grow the business. I had to get it to 55%. This year, the constraint was I needed to upgrade our marketing, and we brought on a new chief marketing officer, Megan Burns. Many of you might know her from Inc. Magazine. Mm-hmm. And our numbers have increased 80%, Kelly, wow. just because I got the right person in the right seat. So execution's about identifying the number one constraint and focusing all your efforts on it. To do anything else is really a waste of your time. Sure, and that, that, and that is so hard because entrepreneurs – Frankly, I think it's one of the hardest things is to focus and uh, to concentrate on one thing. I mean, squirrel, you know, everywhere they see squirrels. So we've we've got um, the people, we have the strategy, we have the execution against the strategy, and then the thing that makes the world go around, cash. How do you manage your cash so that you don't run out before you get to scale to that level that you're where you get in the return? Well, you, there are two universal truths, and that is, number one, don't run out. Because, exactly. You know, growth sucks cash, and you can get by with decent people, decent strategy, decent execution, but not a day without cash. And by the way, I ran out of it in 2001. Mm. You know, we went from a half million to a million to two million to four million, getting ready to do eight million, and 9-11 hit, and I lost a million dollars in about eight weeks, and, and I got, uh-oh, I'm like father, like son. I'm about <laughs> to lose my company. And so two things that I would uh, recommend. There's really three. First, I get my cash, Kelly, reported to me every single day. I watch it 
more than I watch profitability. And I, I don't think enough entrepreneurs pay enough attention daily mm-hmm. to what their cash position is. Because when you follow the money, you learn a lot about your business. Um, number two, there's a great book out. I named it one of the top five business books uh, in my fortune column in 2014. In fact, John Mullins is going to be keynoting for us next week at our growth summit. And it's all about the importance of getting cash from your customers, uh, uh, kind of customer-driven cash business. And, in fact, I just, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to see Mark Cuban next week. And, you know, Mark, the Shark Tank yep. judge and all that, was involved early on in the student organization. Why? Yo, he reminds us, he got his company started with $500 that he got from his first customer. When I got in trouble, I went to 17 of my customers and said, look, uh, could you pay me in advance for what you're going to spend this year? And in turn, I'll give you a, a discount. And I still do that today, and that funds our entire payroll for the year, uh, which allows you to sleep so much easier. (laughs) So I think, as Mark Cuban said in his book, there's only two places you should go get cash, out of your own pocket and from customers. That's what Bill Gates did. That's what Mark Cuban did. That's what we did. And I don't even like getting it from friends and family because mm-hmm. it just puts too much pressure on you. Sure. And another great example that you've talked about before is Amazon. Amazon, with their Prime, gets a lot of cash up front from their customers that they can then go invest in operations and in other parts of the company. Yeah, and Costco. That, mm-hmm. that membership fee right. has allowed them never to have to raise any money. They get enough fees to both represent two-thirds of their profitability and to fund the next uh, Costco they need to open. Yes. When the little bit of time that we have left, because we've gone through the four areas, and, of course, uh, anybody who wants to find out more about that can can get your book and and read about that. Um, Let's talk about the role of the entrepreneur and the founder during the scale-up. How does their role change? You mentioned yourself that you needed to go to Barcelona and get out of the way. So talk to us about how the entrepreneur or the founder has to change during scale-up. Yeah, they, they need to make that tra- transition, Kelly, from being an entrepreneur to being a CEO mm-hmm. or not being the CEO. You know, one of my favorite students, his business card said, founder and head of customer service. That was the part of the business that he loved. I loved the R&D part of our business. And so Randy went out and found a CEO and a COO and a CFO to build the company. He still had the majority of the ownership, and he ended up selling it for a huge amount of money. But he was clear which role within the business he loved, and he made sure he filled in all the other you know, seats on the bus. Right. So that's the main transition that the entrepreneur has to make. The second one is they have to learn to delegate. They have to get other people to do things, and that's why 76% of companies are still home-based. The entrepreneur can't let go. And usually what happens, they tried to let go. They didn't give it to the right person. They got burnt badly, yes. and so they don't ever want to go there again, and so they get stuck. Uh, with their and, and home-based businesses are great if that's what you love. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks are stuck there and they don't know why. Exactly. Talk to us about the role and the value of mentors and coaches. You're a coach yourself, so talk to us about how that can help a business that's trying to scale. Well, we think it's it's really about getting as many brains that you can tap into. That's the beautiful thing about these Indiegogo sites and other crowd sharing sites is that you can really tap into a lot of expertise. In fact, 
we think that the three things the three things that get in the way of an entrepreneur scaling up are E G O ego. Mm-hmm. You know, you thinking you've got all the answers. You only have to get the right question. And then you got to tap into advisors and mentors and coaches and friends and your customer base and your employees and seek the answers. I mean, that was what Sam Walton was so good at. He when he opened his first store, we talk about it in the second book. He would sit down every Saturday with his employees and ask them. This is 53 years ago, Kelly what they thought ought to be done to improve the store that week. And he'd be out shopping competitors and talking to customers. And, and so he sought his advice from everyone, not just himself. Yeah, and as you say, that was 53 years ago. He was way ahead of his time on that, and look where it took the company, though. Um, what is the single biggest takeaway from your book that you would like people to know about? Uh, that's a great question. I you know, what's interesting is it's not in the book. Really? Uh, um, I think Bill Gross, who built Idea Lab, uh, so that's why I want to add it here on this radio interview, said, hey, we looked at people, strategy, execution, and cash. And there is a fifth component, and that is timing. Mm. You know, you can have everything absolutely perfect. And if it's the wrong time, if you don't hit the wave, um, you're not going to make it. And so I think timing has to be added to that mix. Yeah, that is a great point. Otherwise, uh, you're, sometimes, sometimes people, as you say, they have great ideas, but they're so far ahead of the curve, and the educational component for the customers in the marketplace is so great that uh, they come in and they do all the work, and then somebody else comes in behind them and is who's watched them. It comes out with something even better, and they're the ones who are the success story. I've seen that uh, happen more and more uh, than you can count. Somebody, and that's why I think, go ahead. Kelly, it's, it's about persevere, perseverance, persistence. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to stay in the game long enough till it's your time. And that's when, as Steve Jobs says, I'm always amazed how overnight successes take a hell of a long time. <sighs> Yes. It's because of this timing issue. Absolutely. If anybody would like to learn more about what we've talked about today, would like to get a hold of your book, how would they do that? Um, We recommend they go to scalingup.com. We've got a lot of free resources, a a bonus chapter on how to prepare and run a strategic planning session, sample one-page strategic plans, the thing that we're best known for, like 40,000 companies are using them around the world. And there's also a new one-page personal plan that they can download for free and the accompanying information. So lots of information free of charge at scalingup.com. All right, scalingup.com, go out there and continue the conversation and get some tools for implementing some of the things that you've heard here today. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Vern. Thank you for coming to Kansas City to help educate our entrepreneurs and uh, just would love to stay in touch with you. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate you helping the entrepreneurs out in the region around the world. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.